As we move on in our series in Mark, we come to a very difficult text. So I'm going to warn you this morning, okay, uh, that at least the first part of this message will have to be almost like an intense Bible study, okay? So you may want to keep your Bibles open in terms of making the case that we're going to be making uh, concerning this text. Uh, especially the more I hear, the more I'm listening to, not in a sense of long time, but just in a sense of, of uh, <laughs> things that are buzzing out there <laughs> concerning the current landscape uh, throughout the world and what's going on. Uh, I see that our message this morning even takes on more importance in terms of making sure we understand what's going on in this text. So, anyways, that's the warning <laughs> to begin with, and, if, uh, and also I would like to include that we first begin with Joel, chapter 2 this morning. I just want to read a couple of verses there. Joel chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, verses 10 and 11. I think once we read these passages, uh, you will see the connection in terms of Christ's words. So, listen to the holy infallible word of God. Joel chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble. The sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters his voice before his army. For his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? Now if you turn back, I want to just remind you of a passage I'm sure that you all know. From Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. Reading verses 13 and 14. Just as a reminder, Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. He came, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and all the people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Now over to our continuing text in the Olivet Discourse, Mark 13, verses 24 through 27. 24 through 27, Mark 13. But in those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will, 
they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we do come humbly before your word today. This has been a perplexing text. The words of our Savior concerning how to understand them. We ask that we are by thy word, scripture with scripture. We pray, O Lord, that we are on the right path here this morning. And that we are seeing what Christ is teaching us in his word and for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ's name, amen. What event are these words of our Savior referring to in verses 24 through 27? This is the question every reader of this text has asked over the centuries. What are your thoughts about what Jesus is saying here? Second coming of Christ or the period of time right after the tribulation in 70 AD? There have been fine biblical commentators on both sides of this question over the centuries. Although the vast majority of those who are dispensationalists maintain that this text is speaking about Christ's second coming, there are also evangelical and reformed individuals who also believe that the text is referencing Christ's second coming, but without the dispensational trimmings. These evangelical and reformed interpreters believe that in verses 3 through 23 is speaking of the present events of the lifetime of the apostles, but in verses 24 through 27, Christ switches his discussion to his second coming. On the other hand, there are evangelical and reformed commentators who view verses 24 through 27, as Christ still addressing the event of 70 AD and the life, in the lifetime of these present apostles. Let me assure you, as a fellow reader of Christ's words here, I have been seriously challenged with the same question that has addressed the Christian church concerning verses 24 through 27. The second coming of Christ or immediately right after the tribulation? Let me show my cards right off the bat. I maintain that Christ continues his emphasis upon the lifetime of the apostles. Those verses 
verses 24 through 27, are addressing the time immediately after the tribulation, and he is, Christ is not directly addressing his second coming at this point. The reason for my conclusion is because of our position that scripture must interpret scripture. This principle of biblical interpretation is most relevant within two, in terms of two ways in terms of this passage. First of all, the continuity of the flow of Mark's narrative within his own message about and from Christ. We need to stay within the context of Mark's presentation of the message of Christ. Secondly, the interrelationship between the prophetic language of the, in the Old Testament and the prophetic language of Christ in this passage must also be seriously considered. So as we move from verse 23 to verse 24 in this passage, this may not grab your attention, <laughs> but the opening word, the conjunction, but, in verse 24, is huge in the flow between these two sections. For those who believe that Jesus is now changing the entire discussion to his second coming, the conjunction, but, is the key word for understanding that change. There is, however, a problem with that understanding of but in verse 24. This is when our Bible study comes into play here in terms of what I forewarned you already. Please listen carefully. This is crucial. Mark uses this conjunction 45 times in his gospel. And he never uses it to separate a literary unit or to mark a beginning of a new, entirely new section. For example, concerning our text, going from the present time of the apostles and then all of a sudden switching to the second coming in verse 24. Mark never makes such a switch with the conjunction but throughout his entire gospel. Rather, Mark uses the word but as a simple contrast of something that preceded it. Let me give you an example, pretty easy one. If you look at Mark chapter 12, verse 27, Christ, in verifying the resurrection to the Sadducees, says the following. He, meaning God, is not the God of the dead, but, notice, contrast, opposite, not a new section of the living. Of the living. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. With this point of contrast in mind, Mark also uses the conjunction but, not only as a contrast, 
but also as a negation of something that precedes it. This is exactly what Mark is doing in verse 24. Look at the preceding verses, 21 through 23, which speak of the signs and wonders by false Christs and prophets. But, in contrast, verses 24 through 27 speaks of the true signs of the true Messiah, the Son of Man coming to begin his final eschatological era in history. Let's go on in this context. Look at verse 22 which warns the elect of being led astray. Whereas, in contrast, verse 27 states that the Son of Man and his angels will gather the elect. Let's continue on one more. Note also the contrast about seeing in verse 21. People will say, look here, look there is the Christ. Do not believe it, Jesus says. Whereas in contrast, in verse 26, Christ says that they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Christ is speaking about the contrast of what the eyes of saving faith must see. The elect must not believe in false Christs, but the elect must believe in the true Christ, the Son of Man. Hence the contrast covering verses 21 through 27 of these two sections are to be understood as one unit, to be read together as the same period of history, the time of the apostles. Now let us see further how verses 24 through 27 are to be viewed as describing the present lifetime of the apostles in compliance with verses 14 through 23. Do not miss the phrase, in those days, in those days, right after the but in verse 24. This is often overlooked even by commentators. The term days used twice in verse 20 and the phrase, in those days, appearing twice, once in verse 19 and verse 17, alert us that there seems to be a continuity between verses 14 through 23 and verses 24 and 27. Why? Notice that all the references today in verses 20, excuse me, 14 through 23 is after, is after Christ mentions the abomination of desolation is standing in the temple, verse 14. Now look at the next phrase in verse 24. 
after the tribulation. In those days, after the tribulation. It should not be that difficult to understand. In the same days when the tribulation takes place, verse 19, right after the tribulation, the prophetic imagery from the Old Testament prophets is going to take place within the lifetime of these apostles, the apostolic church, verse 24. Now, if you still have questions that Christ is speaking of the same historical context in verses 24 through 27 as he spoke in verses 14 through 23, let me try to seal the deal in your mind and heart in accordance with Scripture interpreting Scripture. In fact, let me just say this at this point. If by any chance in terms of our study so far, if you are lost, <laughs> this is a little bit too much of a deep study here in terms of the scriptures. This point should be real easy to follow, okay, in terms of sealing the deal. All right? <laughs> so, here we are. In Matthew's parallel text in his gospel of this, of this incident, Matthew records these words of our Savior. Immediately. Immediately. Meaning at once is the Greek word. Without hesitation. No time intervening. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. Matthew 24, 29. Our text, Mark 13, 24 through 27, describes an event in the immediate time period of the abomination of desolation, verse 14, and the tribulation, verse 19, and verse 24. All of this will occur within the apostolic era of the apostolic church. But you still ask, how does Christ's prophetic language fit into this understanding? His prophetic language now. Well, we have looked at scripture interpreting scripture within Mark's gospel, and we have thrown in that principle with respect to Matthew's gospel. But now we turn to the continuity of Christ using the Old Testament prophets to subscribe what will occur immediately at the desolation, tribulation, and after the tribulation. Christ's focuses, focus is after the tribulation, verse 24. That's his focus for us. Interestingly, all these three verses, 24 through 27, is related to and immersed in Old Testament prophecy. Christ is placing before us the language from the prophets, 
that incorporates the end times when he appears, he himself appears upon the plane of history. In those days. <laughs> the imagery, the symbolism of Christ's language about the end times and the last days challenges us to understand Christ here. That prophetic language challenges us as we read this text to understand Christ. When we come to this text, we cannot be lazy readers of the Bible. We can't be lazy readers. We have to get in there and wrestle with this prophetic, symbolic language. That's what Christians do. They want to understand what God is communicating. In verses 24 and 25, Christ's words, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give light. And the stars will be falling from heaven. Corresponds closely. I read it. Joel chapter 2, verse 10. Joel chapter 3, verse 15. Obviously, the language here is related to his judgment coming upon the earth towards those living in unbelief. To make sure the point of judgment is driven home, the prophets and Christ enter, enter into a cosmic picture of, now listen to this, of the reversal of the creation. The prophet is using creation language, but he's reversing it in terms of exercising and expressing the judgment of God coming. Those who live for nothing more than for their lives on earth. Think about how many people that is upon the face of the earth. Those who live for nothing more than their lives on earth are given the picture by Christ how the creation order is going to be taken away from them as they come under God's judgment. The sun will not shine. It is dark. The moon provides no light. It is also dark. The stars are not set high in the sky. They are falling. The powers in the heavens will not be stable. They will be shaken. Don't get lost here. We know that this cosmic picture of reversing the typical function of the sun, moon, stars, and the heavens is how God uses languages, language in the prophetic context to portray his anger and wrath upon sinners. God uses this language concerning his judgment and wrath upon 
Babylon in Isaiah 11, and Edom and in Isaiah 34. What is interesting here, don't miss this, what is interesting here is that Christ takes the language found in Isaiah concerning Babylon and Edom, and he applies it. He applies it to Israel and their blasphemous activity of turning the triune God of heaven and earth's house of prayer into a den of robbers. Congregation, Christ's whole Olivet Discourse places us in the era of the last days. Remember the scene. Christ is sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, 13.3. As he presents his discourse to these four disciples, interestingly, as commentators note, without interruption, for once there's no interruption in a whole discourse by Jesus in the book of Mark from chapter, from, excuse me, from verses 5 through 36 of this chapter. The imagery is a foretaste of him sitting at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly Zion as the cornerstone of the heavenly temple until all his enemies are placed under his feet. Those in Israel who are worshiping falsely is his enemy. And they are coming under the final judgment of the Son of Man forecasted in Old Testament prophecy, especially by Daniel. Remember, as we have seen in Mark's gospel, the reference to Christ as the Son of Man speaks of his coming in judgment in the last days. We see this in our present context here in verses 24 through 27. Christ presents his identity in our text as the Son of Man in a negative way, in a negative way as we have already seen in judgment like never have been seen in the creation so far or will be seen, 24b through 25. However, however, Christ also presents the Son of Man in a powerfully positive manner as coming to redeem his people, his church, his elect, verses 26 and 27 of our text. Yes, the Lord coming with clouds can be a sign of judgment as found in Jeremiah chapter 4, which we read this morning concerning the Lord judging Judah. But the cloud can also represent the Lord's presence in blessing in his redeeming love and grace. Just think of the glory cloud leading the Israelites in the desert. The cloud over those assembling in Zion, recorded in Isaiah 4, 
and especially being tied to Christ's words here in Mark, basically invoking Daniel 7, 13 through 14. Congregation, according to Christ, the tribulation is an extremely important event in redemptive history. Do not underestimate its importance. After, after the tribulation, they will see, meaning the apostles with eyes that see, with saving faith, the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power in glory. Verse 26, his power and glory will be exercised in sending out his angels, which can mean also a sense of messengers to gather, to assemble together all the elect in Christ, all who have come to know Christ by means of repenting of their sin and trusting alone upon him for their appearance before the sinless creator of all things. Yes, those elect in Christ from the four winds the four winds, prophetic language, meaning the four corners of the earth, of the globe, underlined by the phrase also there in your text, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven, meaning in prophetic language everywhere, everywhere. Christ, the Son of Man, will come to assemble his elect. Congregation, there is something being added in the progressive revelation of God for the redemption of his people concerning the Son of Man coming to elect his, gather his elect throughout the world. Stay with me on this. Don't be led astray by dispensationalism. Be on guard to remain on Christ's timeline here concerning this event. We have here an already not yet structure uh, to Christ's judgment upon the apostate barren religion of Israel. We clearly mapped out Christ's already judgment upon the money changers and his pronouncement that the temple is a den of robbers. His action of entering the temple and overturning the money changers was an act of already, already bringing such sacrilegious practice under the last judgment. However, it was not yet completed. It was not yet finalized. They continued their blasphemous practice of worship after Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension. Hence Mark 13, 14 through 27. 
is Christ prophesying to these future apostles the final judgment, the true final end of the Old Testament temple upon Israel's apostate religion in 70 AD. Furthermore, what about the work of the Holy Spirit? So although the Holy Spirit will have already come upon the apostles on the day of Pentecost to propel the good news to Jew and Gentile, there is yet an event when the Son of Man comes in clouds accompanied with the personal work of the Holy Spirit and his messengers of the good news, his angels and the preachers of his word will be unleashed to go everywhere beyond the apostolic age and to the Jew and the Gentile to accent once again everywhere on the face of the globe. It is as if Pentecost itself has an already and not yet structure. Already, the day of Pentecost inaugurated the apostles' ministry to the nations, to Jews and Gentiles. But the launching on the day of Pentecost is not, is not yet more fuller or more broadly needs to be launched, more broadly launching yet to take place when Christ as the Son of Man is seen coming to gather his elect from everywhere on the globe as the Holy Spirit applies the saving benefits in Christ to his people everywhere. Indeed, when Christ speaks of his house, his heavenly tabernacle, temple in Zion, as being a house of prayer for the nations. He means it. He means it. He means it as the cornerstone, as he is the cornerstone of his worshiping sanctuary. The coming of the Son of Man has significance for the entire creation. Nothing is the same since Jesus came. Are you part of the new creation's power and glory which the Son of Man has brought? If so, if so, the cosmos, the creation is not in reverse for you. It's not. It's not in reverse for you. But the creation, according to Paul, is groaning for the final glorification of the sons of God, his church, each of you. The Son of Man has unleashed the new creation. 
not as a political rival to Rome or any other political power at any time on the face of the earth, but as the gospel of good news who gathers his elect in power and glory by the good news that is centered in the Son of Man. Christ executes dominion, glory, and a kingdom upon all his elect from every nation, every language to serve him. Daniel 7, 14. After all, after all, go ahead, look down at verse 31. After all, Heaven and earth will pass away, but, but my words, the words of Christ will never pass away. Do you see yourselves in the text this morning? Are you a spectator this morning? Is this too obtuse? Or are you a participant? O oh, church of Jesus Christ, this, what Jesus is speaking about, is your history. It's your history. The history of the Son of Man for the people of God, of which by the Holy Spirit, if you confess the Lord Jesus Christ, that is part of you. Are you a disciple, a follower of Christ, who has fled from the judgment of the word of Christ. Embrace Christ as the Son of Man who has come with his spirit to gather us, gather us, you, yes, even you, from the horror of judgment into the saving power, his saving power in glory, releasing you from a barren and apostate religion to have full communion and fellowship with your Savior who gave himself for you. No wrath, no wrath of God for you if you put unrestrained faith in Christ. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, let these words from our Lord Jesus Christ register upon our hearts and let us be so thankful that we stand before him only by his righteousness and by his electing grace. He has gathered and assembled even us before the Father in heaven.
how we praise his name for his coming, his redemption. In Christ's name, amen.